0: It's time for your local weekly analysis. Slow County Public Policy and the Law with your host, Stu Jenkins. The union forever,
1: hurrah boys, hurrah. Down with the trailer, up with the star while we rally around the flag, boys. Rally once again, ciao.
0: Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews 98.5. I'm Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I've tried cases here in San Luis Obispo County since 1978. Among my many cases have been public interest suits, striking unconstitutional election law statutes, city of San Luis Obispo ordinances criminalizing homelessness, and the Bureau of Cannabis Controls, authorization of cannabis billboards on Highway 101. It has been my privilege to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, I bring you officials, lawyers, and organizations shaping public policy and law. This week's show is the best of. Last week, on June 8th, I spoke with Victor Gomez, former mayor of Hollister and now the executive director of Californians Against Lawsuit Abuse. His organization urges Californian voters and legislators to throttle back private attorney general fees awarded to lawyers representing employees when their bosses violate wage, hour, and working condition laws. Then, for an opposing perspective, I spoke with an effective local attorney who has brought important public interest employment cases, Mr. Alan Hutkin. San Luis Obispo's Alan Hutkin explained why employees and residents of slums could never secure lawyers to enforce fair labor standards and landlord duties without a court being able to award private attorney general fees after a trial had determined the employer or slumlord was found to have broken the law. If you missed those important policy perspectives, log into the podcast of last week's interview at knews985.com. Then click on the tab for Slow County Public Policy and the Law and scroll down to the latest episode. In fact, after today's broadcast, you'll be able to scroll down to this episode. This hour, we are going to have a thoughtful discussion about current events, offshore wind energy, and water issues with 3rd District County Supervisor Dawn Ortiz-Legg. She has a long history of activism in our county and significant educational achievements, having graduated from the Stanford of the East Coast. But instead of my telling you about that, let's hear from Supervisor Ortiz-Legg. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Can I call you Don?
1: Yes, you can, Stu. Yeah,
0: thank you. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you've you lived here for a long time. In fact, I, I remember when you were an activist against the war in Iraq mm-hmm. with the women in black. Uh, <laughs> protesting the women in pink women in pink <laughs> i'm sorry we were
1: we were See? code pink you remember the that um the, the whole significance of the pink was that the organization felt that when we had the red alerts the orange alerts post 9-11 to indicate what the level of um, security was that we needed to have a pink alert in regards to the response I would say, and, and more about feminizing somewhat foreign policy. That's what it really indicated is that, you know, when we make these decisions, these bold decisions to what I would I would call that decision as something of a um, reaction as, a spo- as opposed to a response to the criminal act that 9-11 was, mm-hmm. um, that we, 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 we took into consideration the children that we sent to war here from this country as well as the children and the women and the residents of the countries that then became the target and so it was that's what the code pink stood for was really to let's let's take a break here and think about how we want to go about dealing with the criminals that um, did the awful things to us um, at 9/11 and so uh, you know that activism actually awoke my somewhat dormant, political, and really just policy desires, um, and that that's what I really loved when I was a kid.
0: Well, you you ended up going and getting a degree in public policy, if I'm correct.
1: That's correct, and it was actually after my activism mm-hmm. um, where I decided that, you know, being an activist is great, but being on the street is one thing. How do you get in the building and really affect change?
0: Now, folks, we all know the, what the uh, Stanford of the East Coast is, uh, Harvard, uh, and <laughs> No,
1: I didn't go to Harvard. I went to to, I went to Johns Hopkins. Johns
0: Hopkins. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I didn't go to um, the DC campus. I actually went to the Bologna, Italy campus, which is a fascinating.
0: Well, I bet that would be a a very different culture.
1: It was um, Bologna, in particular, Mm -hmm. was established um, by the CIA in 1953. Um, This is post World War II. Italy was teetering. Um, sure. They did not get the kind of um aid that the that um, Germany did in regards to the um, um i' call it the MacArthur, that's not right you know the um the,
0: the reconstruction the reconstruction yeah.
1: exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the Marshall Plan the marshall Plan thank you sue <laughs> that's all right it took me a
0: while to retrieve that too
1: <laughs> yeah thanks anyway so they so the United States was very concerned that Italy was going to fall to the communists.
0: Now, this is something that I think a lot of the listeners at KNews 98.5 are going to ask. What the heck is a degree in public policy?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really about how we come to decision making. How do we be able to manage and address the, the, the issues that we have in front of us, as well as delivering the political goods, you know, housing, water, security, transportation, energy. How do we deliver that to our citizens? And well, that's when, kind when of what comes came up.
0: Back, when you came back with that CIA <laughs> education. No, I'm making a joke there, <laughs> yeah, folks. Yeah, it's a joke. Uh, the, uh, you got active in local politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you served on the planning commission.
1: I did. did.
0: Was that the first place that you well, uh, got you know, active?
1: Well, you what happened was is that what I really what I went to school for was, I love foreign policy. I mean, that's what took me to Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. However, not a lot of foreign policy going on out of San Luis Obispo. And so when I came home... Not yet. Not yet. But when I came home, I really wanted to work on um, climate change issues. And the one thing that we had going here were the solar farms. And those large utility scale solar farms were currently in the pipeline as far as just kind of trying to figure out how they're going to get approval to build them. And um, so that's where I ended up. And from the solar farm experience, which was a very wide range experience dealing with land use, energy, stakeholders like ranchers and and large agriculture.
0: Environmental groups.
1: Environmental groups, that's right, who were opposed, some of them, to the Utility-scale solar farms?
0: We had John Laird on uh, a while back, and uh, uh, one of his uh, statements was that he
1: uh,
0: he had met with uh, labor organizations that wanted to build these uh, environmental facilities that would generate uh, electricity cleanly uh, or that would save water uh, for use by Californians. And their chief complaint was... Every time we get ready to do one of these things, there's an environmental group who comes and tries to stop us and sues. And he went to the environmental groups and talked to them, and they said, well, yeah, that's what we do. Um, And so figuring out how to navigate that is a big, big project. Um, Has that helped you? on the Board of Supervisors.
1: I think so. I think it really, that experience really has flavored my ability to be a responsive supervisor. I I really make every effort to do that and to be able to listen to both sides. Also having that policy background, I mean, the one thing that I went, you know, when I went into Johns Hopkins, I mean, at that point, Paul Wolfowitz was um, the dean of of the School of Advanced International Studies. I mean, that's kind of the belly of the beast of the conservative movement and I wanted to as somebody that was more on the other side, I wanted to go in and kind of be able to go vis-a-vis in understanding, you know, where's my thought processes? How am I how am I making my decisions? And really what came out was It wasn't so much that I became one thing or another. I became much more able to listen to all sides and recognizing that there's something here for everybody and that every opinion has a place in the discussion.
0: Well, and sometimes uh, an opinion gives you information that uh, you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yes. That can make for a better policy. Well that's what we do here at uh, Slow County Public Policy and the Law. I want to compliment you for being here. There are uh, you are a candidate for re-election.
1: That's correct.
0: And I can tell you and our listeners that there's at least one candidate for supervisor so far who I've concluded is afraid to come on and talk to the listeners of K News mm. 98.5 and I I'm, I'm hoping that candidate will eventually uh, realize that it's important to talk to everybody. Mhm. Um But we do give equal time here. So I don't know that you have any opponents, uh, but of course we'll have to give them equal time with you, even though we're here to talk about policy and supervisorial uh, issues that are here.
1: Well, Uh, and and, you know, I always want to say on the mm -hmm. policy piece too is that, you know, I mentioned opinions are important because that's where, you know, our citizens come in, but there's also has to do a lot with. Um, the documentation and the record keeping and the ability. And I think that going back to my experience on the solar farms, I too was one person that often thought, I don't, I remember we actually, when I first sat and met um, the head project manager from First Solar, who I then eventually was work going to work for. And that was, and she was telling me about, you know, well, we're going to do this for the kit fox and that. And in my mind, I was like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It actually took me the ability the time to get out there and to see all that is required, all the things that have to be done, and and start to understand the process much more. So, trying to build that trust in the system, in the process, is, is part of what I try to do as a supervisor. Is help help bring some light to? Yeah, we don't just get to go out there and just throw cement down and do something anymore. You know, no. those days are over.
0: <laughs> no, uh, uh, they so are. They a, are. Yeah. The uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about energy clean energy sure uh, we've got the wind turbines the leases have happened of the offshore areas in the federal waters Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, what is that about 60 70 acres or Um, actually it's a
1: 399 square miles of um what's called the call area Mm -hmm. and that is the the area where the um, three companies have divided up and each leaseholder will take a certain portion of that and build their wind farm in those areas that are all next to each other. They're all neighbors.
0: And they may not be the same kind of wind turbine.
1: They may not. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that any of them, well, I shouldn't say that, that's a that's a way out thing that's at this to, point.
0: That's up to those companies. It's basically.
1: up to those companies, and things are still really evolving in that um, industry and technology. So we'll now, see what comes out.
0: Now, the headline in the paper this week was that uh, the County of San Luis Obispo would be getting twenty seven million dollars uh, out of those leases somehow. Um, but uh, you know, two things struck me about that. One was that's chump change. And the other was uh, how and where is it going to go?
1: Well, and um, part of what they're referring to, I believe, is that is the five percent that is part of this community benefits um, that is. When the leaseholders put their bids in, they said, they checked a box basically that said they would give up so much to the community to take and do what they wanted with it. So in order for us to be able to determine us, meaning the community, not the board of supervisors, but the community, we have to have the right um, entity to help decide where is the best way to fairly split and share and invest that money for... For one, impacts, two, um, investment, three, the future. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, people in the coast will say, well, we, we should get it because we're the ones who are going to have to, we don't really know what the impacts are going to be yet because there hasn't been any <laughs> reports yet. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're, pretty far out still on a lot of this and so it's it's really challenging to have the conversation but it's really important to have the conversation because people initially see these headlines and including the headline about this enormous port that could possibly be built and they make gr- assumptions naturally and um the fact is is that likely that port will never be built here
0: <laughs> well the, the uh the design was by a uh Group of consultants, uh, actually, I think hired by the county. Or, no,
1: that's correct. No, I was very and, engaged in that part.
0: And, and so, um, they were they were making surmises about what it might look like.
1: And let me explain that for a second, because um, what. The feasibility study that was done that was released in December of um, 2022 was done by the County of San Luis Obispo, the County of Santa Barbara, and um, our economic partners, REACH. We both have REACH as our economic partner. And basically, we at the County of San Luis Obispo, our part of it was for the offshore wind infrastructure. Before we can go and talk to other people, including the offshore wind companies we need to know really can we even do anything here i mean that was really the the, the basis of the question was like do we have the depth of the sea do we have the space do we have and so it's only a physicality feasibility study it did not take into consideration any of the other impacts and all and basically it was just like you know it if you look at our land masses that we have that are attached, where is it that makes sense that to possibly do something and what could be done? And they did their job. They did from the biggest down to the smallest. And so somewhere in between, perhaps there might be something.
0: Well, sure. And, and so they're, uh, they're looking at the, uh, constraints, the outer constraints, uh, of each of the uh, potential harbors and the costs, um, Wide variety of differences in estimated costs for putting in the the uh, facilities that could support uh, that kind of an operation. the The thing that struck me about something you just said was we don't know we we're going to have to form some sort of an entity uh, in order to figure out how to spend the, that money. That twenty seven million is just a one time payment, isn't it? It's not every year.
1: No, it's not. But there's other. There's other things that could occur, and I think that what's important is that we we have part of all of this is really taking on both how we create a workforce, how we make sure that we are inclusive <clears throat> for the tribes and for um, for the coastal users, well, but here's fishermen. My, here's my et cetera. question,
0: because yeah, yeah, yes, there's all the stakeholders. Yes. There's the towns, there's the county itself, there's uh, community services districts, and I want to talk a little bit about that a little later. Okay. Um, But, um, you know, if there was, uh, in our last program, we talked about RAC, the Water uh,
1: Resources resources
0: Advisory advisory Mm -hmm. Council or Commission, anyway. Yeah. Um, So that those kinds of organizations typically are formed by the county itself Uh, so the Board of Supervisors would they be the ones who would actually adopt an ordinance that formed this kind of entity or would it be something formed by the state
1: I think it would be something formed by us locally and it could be um, again a a group of stakeholders but you know we're, we're, we're Looking at that with our economic development team, and um, and that in internally as well with our council, okay. and,
0: and and folks, uh, you're listening to K News ninety eight point five, Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're having a very nice discussion here with Third uh, District Supervisor Don Ortiz Leg. Um, well, let, let's talk a bit, little bit about uh, AB eighty and. SB 286. I don't know if you had any hand or influence in the drafting. I know uh, Don Addis was the author of AB 80, mm-hmm. Assembly Bill 80, and Senate Bill 286 is what yeah. we're talking about.
1: Tell, give us a description because I, you know, that, I, no, no,
0: that's all right. We yeah. we uh, we want folks to be participating in these things. The, uh, in fact, I want to let folks know that. Uh, just May, on May 27th, we had State Senator John Laird appear here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law. A lot of his focus was about uh, SB 286, which is a bill that will um, structure how counties and Native American tribes and uh, fish fishermen... Um, Communities that are impacted, how they're going to receive lease money, because all of the uh, all of these offshore wind turbines are going to have to lease state lands, uh, tide lands, to run their cables across in order to bring the electricity onto the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition, there are going to be uh, harbor facilities created or improved because when you have a a 1,100-foot-tall wind turbine floating on the water on a giant float and an anchor apparently that uh, is huge that anchors it to the seabed, um, there's a lot of construction involved. And that means that these uh, wind turbines have to be assembled, they have to be... uh, put in the water and they have to be put in the water someplace where it's safe mm-hmm. and then they have to be towed out and installed offshore um, the, w- one of the uh, designs that supervisor uh, Ortiz Lake was talking about was uh, a giant landing at Port San Luis um, and, and because I was a harbor commissioner there for 10 years and uh studied carefully the history the that landing went out to the same location that the Harford Pier used to go to when uh, Port San Luis was the largest oil exporting harbor in the world. Yep, um, And so uh, these bills are very important to our area. Mm-hmm. Um, so SB 286 has been set for hearing uh, on June 26th at p.m. in the Assembly Natural Resources Committee. And uh, Don Addis's Assembly Bill 80, which uh, goes kind of along with it, has been set in the State Senate uh, at the Natural Resources and Water Committee on June 10th. And I'm telling our listeners this because you have the ability to go to the uh, legislature's website. Uh, You can actually log into a TV channel to watch these hearings online from your computer, and you can even get a phone number and make arrangements to call in and make a comment on each of these bills if you want to. And uh, we're going to be posting uh, the links for those kinds of things on our website.
1: That's great, Stu. I think it's really important for people to weigh in. And, you know, I want to say that as a member of uh, the board representative for the local. one of the things that we think is really important um, is to make sure that people know that we're, 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 we're all learning here. We're not suggesting that we want to industrialize um, these tourist areas into such that it becomes blight, that it becomes something that is, takes away from the charm as well as the, the, the wonderful... And, you know atmosphere.
0: And and I know everybody wants that. So. Yeah. Folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We have to take a break because the news is coming up and some important advertising. This is Stu Jenkins. Stay tuned.